Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. In today's episode, I have Duncan Francis on to discuss his video series, Can We Fix Aikido? Two major things that I want to mention before we get started today. First, I want to express my heartfelt thanks to the listeners who have donated through the PayPal tip jar. Your contributions are greatly appreciated. It's the love of the martial arts which keeps us doing what we do, and at the same time, it's true for producing the content that I do on this channel. Thank you very much for your support. Second, it's been several years now since I launched the Spirit Aikido online program. Releasing new videos every few days over that time has resulted in a very large library of material. It's coming up on 300 videos, and I have more on the way. This is a great way for you to get training and practice ideas which I've gathered from my own Aikido training, gleaned from other instructors, and taken from other arts. Recently, I've covered several techniques where Nage initiates contact, integrating wrestling movements such as the duck under, guillotine, and ankle pick. There are also numerous videos on how to deal with a common street situation, the clinch. Not long ago, a subscriber requested my take on Kihon Waza, so I did a series on Aikido's Kihon Waza and added a few techniques of Aikido that I think should be considered Kihon due to their effectiveness and reliability. If you've been curious to see breakdowns of how I approach my Aikido on the mat, the videos in the Spirit Aikido online program are the best way to go. You get a great deal of content and help support the show at the same time. I encourage you to check it out. There's a link in the description. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. Welcome back to Martial Wisdom and Modern Aikido's podcast. Uh, I'm thrilled to have Duncan Francis back on again. He put out a series of uh, videos on Aikido Silverdale uh, titled, Can We Fix Aikido? And he did six different videos and I wanted to bring him on to talk about these at length. each of these episodes, I definitely encourage you to go watch them, although we're going to talk about, uh, talk about them here today, was kind of a, him dropping a few hand grenades and letting them kind of explode and, and having people think about these, these topics. Um, and before we get in, we're going to talk about each, each episode that he did and the topics that he covered. But before he gets into that, uh, firstly, welcome back to the show, Duncan. Um, great to have you here. Uh, but get a little bit into your into the background of what inspired you to put these together and to, to sort of be prov- provocative about asking these questions and, and sharing your your views on them. Okay, so um, we we've had this YouTube channel for uh, two three years, and initially it was um, just a platform for me to be able to um, put some technical records up of the things that we were teaching our students. You know this. I'm sure same as any other kind of uh, more experienced instructor, I'd written a book on Aikido and released some DVDs and wax cylinders and other old kind of, uh, you know, long defunct formats. And um, graphs on a cave wall. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, the, the, the cave painting. And it was interesting. It was so much easier just to send people a link and it's, you know, I'm an old man. Once we started re-recording things, I found myself in this weird um, dilemma where, okay, we're going to just do I have you, we're going to do the basic white belt syllabus or whatever it is. And I found myself questioning something, some of the things in it, not necessarily the actual techniques, of course, but the, the, the kind of the way it was being taught. Um, and I, have, I felt this terrible guilt. You know, I mean, one of the most important people in my entire life was my sensei, without a doubt. 
He was an astonishingly authentic human being and a ridiculously naturally talented martial artist. You know, he left school at 14, and so he wasn't a kind of a university kind of a classic or smart guy, but one of the most perceptive and intuitive and authentic people I've ever met in my life, and a monster martial artist. And, you know, he, just that thought process in my head, could we do this better, felt so wrong. And I think I'd been shoving that to the back and just doing what I'd always done for quite a long time, probably 10, 20 years, maybe. You know? um, and then when we started doing the YouTube stuff and throwing the videos up, I thought, no, this is going to be up there forever. If I show this something here, that's it. Unless we actually go and take the thing down and re-record it. And I'm far too lazy for that. You know? So started looking at some of the basics and it kind of crept from there. And then you start seeing patterns of things that are, I won't say wrong, but inherently could be improved upon or could be looked upon in a more practical way, which I think is that that's probably the critical word that um, I keep coming back to. That a lot of the training in traditional Aikido, and by that I mean in the uh, um, following kata based upon an opponent carrying a sword or an opponent that's lost their sword and is trying to take yours. You know, that that's fine and, and you can use those mechanisms to teach beautiful body mechanics but after a while you start thinking well yeah not many swords in North Auckland and maybe we should be doing this against something you know and training the same uh, things for our students to get benefits from the same body mechanics but for more realistic and practical exercises you know and uh, yeah so long story short after 300 videos three three years down the, the line um following groups like the Aikido, the martial size group, which I know you run and a couple of Reddit groups. And there's a few others on social media where people mainly like-minded people are discussing um, their backgrounds in not just Aikido, but other tradition, traditional arts the Kata based, shall we say, technical based rather than um, practical self-defense based. Uh, and then I'm, I'm kind of saying, well, we've changed this and we've changed that. And it was interesting to see the thought process from these people and that made me think, okay, let's throw this out there. It wasn't meant to be a hand grenade, as you put it, but it certainly seems to have stirred the uh, fish tank up. You know, um, Still waiting for some of the, the sediment to sink. Um, but about 85%, I think, of the responses on all of the videos, and some were more controversial than others, um, but about 85% has been supportive either in principle or they've they've said yes but have you thought about it from this point of view but generally thinking along the same lines of um how can we um perhaps not modernize but just make this more relevant to, a, to you know to a society that can take their kids out for a sunday lunch and they'll be showing ufc and people getting beaten to death in a cage on the television you know it, that kind of thing is now part of our day-to-day -day life and to be training a martial art that doesn't even formally teach strikes just seems insane to me. So the very first one we put up to stop me ranting was about kneeling pins, because that was the first thing when I was doing the technical videos that we we addressed. Ikkyo, nikkyo, senkyo, you know, and you, got, you finish with the lovely kneeling pin and the entanglement, the gurami, whatever. It and, and it's great. It teaches lovely biomechanics. It teaches the toshi and your connection, all of those great things. But you could teach those probably in a better way. Now, I still have a, a, a long-term respect for the traditional thing I was brought up with, the Awama kind of background. Let me just pause um, you there, because I think before we yeah. get 
totally into the kneeling pins. And we talked about this just before we started the recording was even the term traditional. And, and yeah. for me, this is, this is something that is so, I think, misunderstood. Uh, it's, I think it's a word used to create a romantic image of what people want to think something yeah. was like. And Absolutely. they're trying to recreate that now in our age. And it's used as an excuse as well. Exactly. And it's for, for people prior to the big wave of, of martial arts coming in in the 70s and 80s when movies and television shows made martial arts really popular to the masses. Before that time, martial arts was not really viewed as entertainment or uh, there for the consumption of the masses. It was there for a very small group of people that were that were rather intent on the martial arts as what they were created to be, which was how to survive and prevail in among in the, in the world of physical violence. Yeah. Um, it did not get sensationalized yet. Uh, it was a very down to earth and, and uh, a very down to earth pursuit, regardless of what martial art you were talking about, whether it's wrestling, boxing, Kung Fu, any, any martial art prior to about the seventies was no nonsense. It was yeah, not. I, I, think, I think late seventies, early eighties even, because I yeah, started yeah. In somewhere around, somewhere around that era. But and, I, and it, 70s, I don't think that there was much tolerance for nonsense garbage. If you brought that into the martial arts realm, regardless of where it was, and you were some, some fool or talking theoretical garbage, you'd get called out and just laughed at and just thrown out. And so I, I, I really do believe, and granted, I'm not old enough to have met, you know, O-sensei or any of his contemporaries, either in Aikido, Judo, or any of the arts. But I really can't believe any of them having much patience or tolerance for uh, just some of the nonsense that that came into the martial arts after the huge entertainment wave made it popular. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and to say that what is tradition, well, how, where, where is your, where do you put the flag in time? Where do you mark the tradition? Is traditional what it was done in the eighties? Was it traditional what it was done in the sixties? Was it traditional what was done in the forties or in the twenties or, you know, turn of the century, but you go back farther and there wasn't, I don't think there was the nonsense in martial arts that there, there, there came to be later with the charlatans and the people that wanted to make money and they wanted to cater to the, the you know, the ignorant lay people. They didn't know, know any better. They didn't know what they were being taught is, is just ridiculous nonsense. Um, yeah. So I liked the, the terms that you used, which were theoretical and practical. I think those were the words, right? Yeah, we tend to, we, yeah, I mean, that's, they're just as good. Technical and applied is the- is Technical the, and applied, yeah. So, and technical- could still be kata, it could still be something traditional, or it right. could still be just study of, like in Koryu Jiu-Jitsu, where they, they look at Kazushi in a very, very, very fine detail. Exactly. That's got it. And, I, that's got it. and looking yeah. back, I, I can't see many martial artists that were so steeped in just kata that had no practical application that- they didn't know what they were talking about. Because if all you do is kata, you can, with your imagination, you can come up with a lot of weird explanations for why you're doing what you're doing that are, don't have any grounding in reality. Um, and, and that's, you know, there are modern arts that have been, that have made kata just because they're fun to do. 
and entire arts that are contrived entirely out of theoretical uh, hypotheses and made to look more like movie, movie <laughs> uh, martial arts because that's what young people like to do. And they, you know, whether it's lightsabers or what have you, um, yep. you can't, that's not going to be a practical thing. No, I mean, this, we, 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 we approach this in, on, on the, the video four, not four in the series, the bullshit one. Right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll cover this more, but I, I think one of those things, if, if I could press a button and, and fix one little part of Aikido, it'd be, what do you mean by traditional? And before you, yeah. not you, but before anybody throws that word traditional out, know what your def definition of traditional is. And if you're looking at tradition for what Osensei's generation of martial artists were, what we're doing now is not traditional at all. In fact, I think the word would be contemporary. Yeah. We have it, we have an Aikido that is unrecognizable from what it was when Osensei was alive. And at best, we're just a pale shadow of what yeah. of what it was. And it's even that that is distorted almost beyond recognition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean it's it, it, <laughs> it's a whole nother conversation, but um, that in itself, I think uh, there's many, there's many factors you could blame that on. One of them is the the socket or the system. You know the mm -hmm. the, the 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 idea that um, when your father dies, you inherit the family business or the martial art or whatever. That's just I, I understand it's Japanese culture. I have huge respect for other other cultures. That's fine. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. My dad was a very good trumpeter and a superb golfer. I am terrible. Sure. It, it's nonsense to suggest that, and, and we've got three generations now of Aikido being basically inherited mm -hmm. by a, an offspring when there were more capable people that could have, and, and that's that alone is a huge influencer on how diluted the art has become. Well, and something that I noticed, and I, and I would lay this at the feet of the um, old school Japanese method of teaching, and conveying knowledge from one generation to the other. And while this has been done for a long, long time, it's horribly inefficient, which is, I will allow you, my student or my son or, or whatever, to view me doing my, my trade or my craft. I will, I will gift you the, the, I will give you the, the benefit of being present so you can watch me do it. And then if you pick it up, that's fine. But if you don't, you don't. And because we're Japanese and we've got a lot of Japanese around, there'll be somebody else that'll come along and will actually watch what I do, copy how I do it. I'm not going to explain anything to you. I'm not going <laughs> to lay it out or actually teach you or mentor you or coach you. Yeah. You're just going to watch it and pick it up. And now when you talk about it, some, some, anything physical, there's a certain part that you can, you, you can copy somebody's physical aspects. Or, or whatever it is they're doing. You can pick it up by trial and error. It takes a long time to do that. It's not a very fast way of learning or, a, or an efficient way of learning. But as we know, the martial arts are probably 80% mental. They're only about 20% physical. So if you don't try to guide somebody into that mental, the, learning the mental part, which you just cannot do, 
because no one can see into your mind. You can't just show your, your mentality in front of somebody and have them pick it up. They might, but they might not. Good chance they won't. Um, and, so and, much of it is experience. Yeah, and how many books have we seen and uh, attempts in the last 30 years for athletes to convey what is the mind, what is a winning mindset? How do I, how do I compete? How, what, what's the mental process for taking on adversity under stress? I mean, it, it is a huge, deep field that I think is far deeper and broader than the physical skills. It's the mental skills. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, but to have, have no attempt to teach any of that, in in a field that is largely a mental thing i think is is another problem and this explains why the generations kind of got watered down it wasn't by accident it was by a poor teaching method that did not really cultivate students an inherent lack of skill as well i mean just people people steering from the top and again this is something else yeah i did a we did a separate video on this there was a seventh den um I won't give any more details, but doing a demonstration of Tenkan, that was, you know, incorrect in literally every single detail. And, you know, the comments were turned off underneath, so it obviously had an absolute hammering in the the comments initially. So they hadn't taken the video down. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, a simple technical um, principle like that that is taught to newcomers. Mm-hmm. should be something that's universally you know it's a it's a, a it's a universally accepted thing it is a it is a certain thing it is an apple it's not an orange and this person was basically saying it was something completely different and demonstrating it i mean if if someone had just come on the back mat for the first time um it would have still been terrible it was i mean i, I would and this this is the this is, these are the people that are providing top-down um, like technical guidance for the art at the moment. Well, and, and I and think that while I applaud people for trying to pick up and now trying to explain what it is they're doing, if there's a gap in there where they never got a good explanation for exactly what how, what they should be doing, why, how they should be doing it uh, to get effect out of it, the, the effect that they, that is desired, other than telling Uke, all right, do what the choreography says so that I can yep. succeed now which I think is, yeah. that is the big yeah. red flag trap is, you know, Absolutely. do you need a well-programmed UK to make your techniques work? And if the answer is so, yes, I mean, then yeah. So um, I would say we've got, there are, there are some, and again, it's probably another conversation, but there are some inherent failures in not just Aikido, but um, for our, for our well, intents and purposes, it's our focus. Um, there's some inherent failures in the way the art is not only um, taught, the, the culture of the art, the, uh, the flow of money within the art, um, which is very important, um, and the kind of the, the misunderstanding of some of the things that made it the art that lots of senior martial artists flocked to in the 1930s and 1940s. You know, the, the, what, what, people, what people are now talking about now, these kind of existential self-help kind of ideas, if you like, um, bore no relationship whatsoever to the, the cleverly adapted Daitaru or whatever you want to call it that O-sensei was initially doing. You know, none of his original students were just mugs off the street. They were all decent martial artists. 
they you know they knew someone that knew what they were doing uh, you know they wouldn't have just followed a, any old dude you know mm-hmm. i mean my my upline is kenshiro abby who was you know 19 year old japanese unbeaten judo champion an astonishing natural you know natural ability he was the one that oh sensei supposedly pinned on the train with one finger mm. okay you know and, and for all the people that and i've heard this this uh debate come up periodically yeah. was a sensei really the real deal or was he some kind of a charlotte oh, no, faker or a, a uh what they call it like, yeah like did he just master being able to put on a good show and again i've not seen any of these challenges i've i've only ever read some accounts of them some of them are, differ a little bit but what seems to be the constant thread is that very high level, very experienced, competent martial artists would challenge him and he accepted them. So he clearly yeah. was not averse to the competition idea of he of being and he tested wasn't by somebody. Guy. He and wasn't a big guy. Yeah. No, and he wasn't a big guy. Of course, the Japanese at that time were generally not big people anyway. So he was small even by Japanese standards. He was right. four, yeah. four foot eleven. Um, yeah. But when these people were bested, and almost all of them were. I don't recall ever hearing a story where where Osensei was overwhelmed or overcome. But when they were done, they almost all of them said, "I need to become your student. Please, can you teach me?" Yeah. Like to yeah. me, that is a testament of. And it, this wasn't like he was doing it at some sort of sideshow circus thing where he was taking kids and and you know people off the street that had no experience and impressing them. He was impressing serious martial artists. And now, so, I've, I've, I've talked to people that, uh, that trained with O-sensei, mm-hmm. um, people like Ken Cotier and Chiba-sensei and, and mm-hmm. you know, a number of others, and they all, obviously, they're in his later life, and they all have their own personal stories, you know, um, Bob Nadal is another one, um, but the, they all said he was an extraordinary man, for sure, he had something about him, some people just have a charisma, um, they all said that... Uh, some of the things you think look like people are falling over, his timing and his ability to kind of lead you off balance was astonishingly high level. So that was another thing he had. Um, but on the, on the flip side of that, they all said that he was, well, some are more polite than others, especially the Japanese people I spoke to, but they, they said he was wildly eccentric. So mm. I suspect in later years, um, he, uh, I mean, there's two or three stories about him um, doing some real crazy stuff, um, <laughs> you know, getting on a train and his ukideshi with these bags getting on and then him, him jumping straight off and waving to him going down the tracks, and, you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> so I suspect in his later, later years, he was a trifle eccentric, but there's no doubt that he was the real deal as far as having a, a Mm-hmm. you know, an astonishing natural technical ability, as you say. Otherwise, these people wouldn't and, follow. And in my experience, of all the, the people that I've run into that have been extraordinary martial artists, they all had one thing in common, and that was an extraordinary will to excel. Like, it, they, weren't, they weren't crazy good just because they fell backwards into it. They were crazy good because they were not just devoted, like they put a lot of time in, but the time that they devoted, they, they were on sharpening themselves honing their, you know, I mean, it was, they were driven, they were driven to, to be not only to, to, to improve their own 
skills in their body, but they were driven to not be overwhelmed by somebody else. And I think this is a, this is a part of that, the warrior mindset that I think a lot of people will not necessarily have a stomach for, let's put it that way, especially yeah. among people who say, Oh, I don't, I don't want to do competition. Competition is bad. We should only be ever be competing with ourselves which is somewhat true because in competing with yourself, you are driving yourself to, to not rest where you are right now in terms of your skill. You want to improve yourself. But with when it comes down to that person challenges you, you have to have a will not to get beat because you can have superior conditioning, superior movement, superior martial skill. But if you don't have the will to win and your opponent does, he can have less skill, less conditioning, less strength than you, and he, he can beat you. He can overcome you by, by pure force of will. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of those things where, and this is a whole nother conversation too, but, but as, as a martial artist, that is a factor. Your, your passion to succeed and prevail is a factor in your success, not just your physical ability or your, you know, how many times you've done your katas or how precise you are it it takes that mental will as well yeah i mean absolutely yeah it's, uh, i don't know i i think uh aikido has dug itself into a hole now where um i know it sounds a bit uh, defeatist but i don't really think that there is any hope for the art to um undo the damage that's been done as far as practicality and, and real world re relevance i think it's going to carry on as it as it uh, as it is um until it just fade fades out um which is a terrible thing i saw some numbers the other day uh, since 1984 i believe it was um the numbers practicing then compared to now we're at about three percent worldwide wow so it's which is you know, and it doesn't surprise me it doesn't surprise me at all um, so I think if the art is going to be relevant, then there needs to be a, a rebirth. And I don't know whether it's, and again, I know we've talked about this off air, whether or not it's going to be reborn with a different name or whether it's going to have a, an adjective or a prefix on it, you know, modified, modernized, contemporary, practical, whatever, pragmatic Aikido, um, because uh, the, the entrenchment of the culture, especially from Japan, you know, Aikikai, and in the, you know, the other kind of popular, big, bigger schools, the key kind of side of things, that's always been slightly away from the practical anyway. Um, and I think there's but, enough critical mass with those groups that they will survive on their own. To a certain extent. Under yeah. the Aikido umbrella, regardless of whether there are more people like us that want to make it physically robust and, and, fulfill its potential and get, get what I'm saying what you, I, 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 you know I'm kind of answering my own question here this series that we, we were we, you know we're talking about can we fix Aikido I think the, the answer is actually no mm -hmm. I think the answer I think what the, the, the really the question is what can we do with what we have to make it more practical and relevant and, sure. and, um, and then again you have to have the caveat that's if you want that because I know a lot of, you know, we, we have regular seminars at our dojo uh, you know, where we invite martial artists from around the country from all sorts of arts. You know, we always mix and match and it's great. 
but um, quite often I'll invite an Aikido person on that I've heard good things about, and it will be clear they've got absolutely no interest in the the practical, mm-hmm. but they have beautiful body movement and they've got some, you know, they've got great skills within a certain um, arena, if you like, you know, kata or the weapons or, or um, you know, and they bring a superb bouquet along and it looks wonderful. And, and, you know, but, and when you talk to them afterwards, because beer sometimes is involved and, and you, you find out they've actually got no in, interest. Yeah, you know, they train because of the social aspect and because of the fitness and because of the, the structure it gives them. And, you know, the more you kind of prod them and kind of find out and the word, yeah, the word fight never even crops up. Sure. But if they're honest, you know, if they're honest about that, and the, the person I'm thinking of absolutely was, he's got no interest in, you know, the martial, if you like, mm-hmm. then that's absolutely fine. It's absolutely yeah. fine. And he doesn't advertise his club as being a martial art. He, t- he teaches it as a, uh, a system of unification or something. I, th- I forgot what he, the, right. the semantics he used. But that's great. That's absolutely fine. But if you're if you're teaching, you know, if you've got your advert up on the, the university notice board and it's the self-defense martial art, and you've got the first line from Wikipedia using the, the opponent's weight against them and all that kind of stuff, and you're teaching some airy fairy nonsense, then that's it's basically misleading. It's just not right. It's not fair to you. You shouldn't be thinking that's what you're doing, and you shouldn't be trying to sell that to other people. It's 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 you know it's misrepresentation. I couldn't agree more. So let's jump into the episodes themselves that you did, and we'll just do them in order. Uh, There's six parts of them, and I'll just read these off. Uh, The first one you did was on kneeling pins. The second one was on Shomenuchi attacks. Third one was on Yokomenuchi attacks. Part four is the uh, bullshit and the Aikido delusion, which I can't wait to talk about that one. Um, Part five was chokes and strangles, and then part six was the 90% of Aikido is a temi, but is it really? So let's just take these in order. Uh, the kneeling pins. What um, what brought that as your your number one your number one attack for? Uh, I, yeah, so as, a, as we were briefly skirted on earlier. Uh, I think your uh, your mic is a little quiet. Is it? That up a little bit. You got me? No. There we go. I think that's a little better. There better. There we go. Yep. Okay. Yep. Sorry. Um, yeah, so um, as, as we said earlier, the, um, the initial uh, idea about putting the YouTube channel together was so we could put our technical stuff up for students to have a reference for, you know? They could do a class and then you can say, oh, look, I'll, I'll flick you the link later on so you've got some reference for it. And it works really well. It's a really good way of, you know, especially for people that don't see and copy, you know, they need multiple inputs to, for the same thing to reinforce it, like myself, you know? Um, and when I was, you know, we started doing, started doing the, the IHEMI white belt kind of stuff. And uh, I started thinking, well, okay, yeah, this, uh, this has validity and it's, uh, but then why am I seeing fifth, sixth, seventh Dan Sheehan's, whoever's, you know, people with white hackamas and, and halos of, of light around them still ne- doing kneeling pins mm-hmm. when patently, it's nothing more than a teaching method or some form of symbolic reference to our tradition, to use the word again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, if I'm going to do a, an Ikkyo, for example, style shoulder pin, 
to keep my opponent on the floor, the very last thing in my mind is to kneel down in his armpit, even if I've got a decent angle on his shoulder and all that kind of stuff, because there's a good chance then at the 180 degrees I can't see, one of his mates is going to be wandering up and kicking me in the back of the head. You know, it's, It just seems insane. And yet within the system, there is no progression of that. Mm. And it's a fundamental to Aikido, the kneeling pin, zikyo, nikyo, sankyo, um, and a few others, but those are the main three. Mm-hmm. Always talk the kneeling pins. And people get to mid-Q grades, and that's never progressed. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, okay, well, let's just ask the question and see what happens. And the majority of people kind of were like, uh, yeah, makes sense. We should probably look at doing something a bit more practical. And that was fine. That was great. One, one or two people got took umbrage with it, but kind of, you know, you, you're used to, for every 10 comments, there's one bedroom sensei or someone that just wants to be contrary. Um, the thing I think I've learned about um, putting stuff up in the public arena is that um, confirmation bias or cognitive bias, if you want, exists in all of us, including me. And you, you often are looking for things to reinforce what you already believe in rather than genuinely taking on board the question that's being asked and looking at it. And that's a real hard thing for your ego and for, especially, if, you know, I've been doing this for whatever it is, 74 I started. So, you know, it's a long time. Man had just discovered fire and invented the wheel. So you kind of you kind of think that you're a bit of an expert. You can't, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I'm realistic about it, but you, you, you kind of at least accept it. You kind of know what you're talking about. And then when someone kind of confronts something you've hold dear, um, it's, it's, it's quite a thing to, and when it's yourself, <laughs> when, you, when you're basically confronting something that you've held as a truth, it's a hard thing to process. And the kneeling pins were the first thing I, I thought, well, we could do something about this. So uh, I, I don't know if you remember, about two or three years ago, we had a conversation about um, formally changing our syllabus mm-hmm. and, and what that would involve and how that is such a, uh, a heart-rending process because it's what was passed down and has always been done and was like, you know, it's like the Bible. You don't want to change bits and make, you know, right. so we're picking. This is where the, the Japanese, with their severe respect for authority and uh, extraordinarily high uh, reverence for their teachers, yeah. you can attach yourself to something that is, you were told, you were shown very clearly, this is how it's done. You take it up and believe it, but then it's hard on your own ego when you're faced with, do I say that my teacher was wrong and have to correct for what reality has showed me? It, it, it almost feels like you're personally insulting your, your, yep, absolutely. and, and, you know, I agree entirely. I, I went through that entire process mm-hmm. and uh, I, this is one of the things I've had to deal with in the comments and in people that contact me outside of the, the videos. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying that the place I am in now and what I wish to pass on to my students and what they seem to be um, wanting or or being uh, more fulfilled with is something more practical. So I'm in no way criticizing my sensei. And I think that that's just an attitude that needs to be set down and and let go to say, for one thing, first to admit, no human being is perfect or flawless. For sure. We've all learned BS in the martial arts. We just everybody has. We've all taught BS in the martial arts. Yeah. 
we absolutely have, but it's that moment where you realize, and I, and you probably went through the same thing because I, I eliminated the kneeling pins. I shouldn't say it entirely eliminated them, but almost like 99% of the time we are dealing with more solid yeah. pins that are reliable and practical. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in doing that, I, I merely had to look at it like, I don't want to hand my students something that I see them struggle when they try to help somebody or they try to teach somebody or they have a new person come in that doesn't know that they're supposed to just lay there and provide just a little bit of token resistance when they really try to get out of a pin and they roll out of it because they they can roll over their shoulder or whatever. Like I, I dealt with that when with my instructor and I got to see, you know, the instruction of, okay, well, here's how you got to, you know, swivel the arm up and all of the stuff they get to fix it, which still kind of went haywire. When I start playing around with something against a more live uke and say, all right, I want you to keep me from pinning you on the ground. And they do it and they start wriggling around like, and then you find an easier pin that doesn't have you kneeling. That's more, okay. much more reliable. And when you get them down there, they can't get out of it. Um, well, what happened to me in that, that process was that the Ikkyo and Ikkyo Sankyo with the kneeling pins that kind of uh, uh, started this, there must be a better way. The mm -hmm. technique, fourth principle, Yonkyo, which I am not a huge fan of at all. No, me neither. I, <laughs> I, it's, it's got its uses, I think, as a transitional thing. I use it sometimes in randori when I get hold of someone in a weird way and I can just pop their other shoulder out of the way or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the pin, the Yonkyo pin, is far more valid than the Ikkyo, Nikkyo, Sankyo kneeling kind of entanglement garami things. Mm -hmm. So we've basically adopted now past white belt, once people have got that, you know, the, the flooring, mm -hmm. the basic out of the way, all of our pins are variations on a theme on the, on the Yonkyo one. Because you are upright, you've got the leverage, you've got the spiraling of the shoulder forwards and down. You can readjust if they try and tuck their knees up. And, I mean, it's it's far more efficient, and it's still effectively with something from within the system. Sure. So I've kind of blended two things together, and that was that was kind of the first time when I started pruning what we had, if you like. Mm -hmm. And what was the response that you got? Um, Interestingly enough, the progress and then were your students happy that they had something that was more, more direct and reliable? I had a big influx of newcomers, um, so I got to teach them from scratch. And on the newcomers, it was kind of the same as when you when I taught anything else, because they basically don't know anything. Um, so they're kind of just going with with your thing. And that made me realize how much people trust you and how much of a duty of care you have that, you know, to what you're teaching. But then some of my mid-Q grades, who then I had to say to them, okay, well, look, we're going to change things up. Um, some of them have already got a, um, uh, because New Zealand is a, a land of immigrants. Virtually everyone here has come from another country, pretty much. You know? And so lots of them have done other arts in other countries um, to quite a good level. And the polite relief on their faces when I said, look, I'm going to start trying to um, tweak what we're doing and make it a little bit more practical, you could see it was something that those of them from a jujitsu or a boxing background or a whatever the different, you know, the, you could see they were quite pleased that that had been, shall we say, acknowledged. Mm. And, and that opened up a completely different dialogue between myself and the students, even people that had only been training with me a couple of years, because they've got a, 
three or four years in jujitsu, we were then talking about, um, so I'd say to them, what, what parts of your jujitsu training did you find the most practical and the most, you know, uh, most valid and rewarding? And they'd say, well, this, this, and this. So that's the kind of things that we have now been assimilating into what we're doing. So we've got this chimera of a syllabus, um, which was initially stimulated by us looking at the kneeling pins as something that could probably be, um, I shouldn't call it upgraded or adapted for more, more uh, proper use for within my own personal environment. That's mm -hmm. probably the politest way of doing it. And that's led now to a complete re rewrite of the syllabus. And interestingly enough, We've still got probably 65, 70% of the old traditional syllabus, but trained in a different way. Sure. And that's the and that's the critical thing. And that's what led to the rest of the videos, the way we were trained, not what we were trained. Exactly. And, you know, the last thing with the kneeling pins, and this was this was sort of an influence from uh, some of my law enforcement officer people that I train with, uh, which was, you know, out, out in the, the wild, I'm not kneeling down. There could be gravel down there. It could be glass. There could be, you don't know what's on the ground. In addition to what you pointed out, which is now you're more immobile. Some, you know, you can't move around. You're, you're low. You easily get kicked by somebody else. But just the threat of, as well as the energy of going all the way down the ground and getting back up again. Even regardless of, you know, you get somebody who's a little older, maybe their knees aren't great. Um, you know, you go down to the ground on purpose you know, and what I've adapted and really like this is if I'm going to kneel, I'm going to kneel on Uke. They're not, yeah. you know, no, no, no gravel, no ground glass, and I can put my weight on them. And that makes it much easier for me to, to pin them down. And I can get back up really quick because I didn't go all the way down. So. Sure, absolutely. There's a, we, we train with a Sistema guy sometimes who's an mm -hmm. ex-police officer. Um, and uh, he, uh, he's adapted a lot of things that he used to use in the job. And there's actually what you just said, the kneeling pins where you're putting, you're putting your weight on the, the top half of the shoulder, you're rolling that shoulder forwards rather than the point of the knee causing pain. You're rolling the structure of the shoulder forwards, which then stops them getting the, the hips underneath to be able to roll either way or to add structure to their base mm -hmm. and basically get their balance back, if you like, to be able to generate force. Simple things like that are just mm -hmm. absolutely wonderful. We tried it with, we've got a giant in the class, a, a real big lad. And we tried it with him. And even the smallest person, once they got the angles right, could keep him on the floor. So the biomechanics of it were absolutely yeah. correct. And, and that, know, I and think, that, there's a, a joy and a wonder when you can have something and enjoy that success with yeah. like, the smaller person with the bigger person. Um, you know, I've got a friend of mine that's got a wrestling background and physically he's a beast. And I can pin him down with kneeling on the back of his shoulder where I just could not with the kneeling pin. If I was on the ground, like there's no way I would stop him from getting back up. And, no, absolutely. and, and I think that, that passing that along to students and letting them feel that, that capability, like the, the, that they can succeed even with overwhelming strength in somebody else, I think is, I mean, that's, I attach that as my duty as a martial art instructor. Like that's the, real, that's the magic I'm trying to convey is like that level yeah. of ability. Couldn't agree more. And I think by opening your thinking up like that, not just following, um, I use the word rope, if you like, mm -hmm. but, but opening your thinking up slightly, you know, I, I now have variations on a theme on, on some of these basics that I will use for different body types. So if you've got a very slight petite person, um, 
you might have something which involves um, full full body alignment and, a, and an atoshi and, and real, you know, absolutely everything thrown into it. Whereas if you've got someone that's a bit heftier, you might do something which allows them to keep a hand free. So they've got the opportunity to make a temi or to use their phone or whatever it is. And you build those things into it as are applicable to the individual student. Whereas by, whereby if you were just following it, you know, Ikkyo is this on the floor kneeling and that is the way it is done. There is none of that flexibility. And again, it just makes for a better experience for the students, I think. Absolutely, it does. And and I, when I shook up my syllabus, uh, the next logical progression was changing the for the test criteria. Um, yeah. Like what, especially that because the way the system that I got, the first test was very structured. Um, the attacks and the defenses were were laid out. Um, whereas from the second test on the instructor would call the attack and the student picks the technique that they were are the most comfortable with. So that's where they yeah, start getting their own Aikido. Yeah. Uh, sort of, it, it, they start classifying like what works well for them and it will change as they, as they progress up and learn more, they'll get more things that, you know, in each test you have to do more defenses from every single attack. But that first one, boy, I shook that up quite a bit. And I, I kept a couple of things that were in there from, uh, from the original test, but I added a lot of things in there that and, and changed them. I didn't want to have the test go. Usually it's about 20, 25 minutes. I didn't want it to go any longer than that. But one of those things was, and the kneeling pin kind of comes in there is I want the kneeling pin to be their absolute most reliable go-to. So they should start that from day one. And, yeah. and you can get into more other stuff later, but it's the stuff you do the most that will lay the, the foundation groundwork uh, for that test. And, and I think that the, that kneeling pin was my number one. Uh, if you're going to mobilize somebody that, that you take down, this is the, this is a way to do it. Um, and it was been very happy with that. And, and it's nice to see students who can take a bigger person and pin them to the ground and still be upright. And they, they can kind of smile with confidence because they know yeah, that sure. they're, you know, that, that they're not going anywhere. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's now get to the the part two and three, and I think are going to be kind of similar with talking about the Shomenuchi attacks and then Yokomanuchi attacks. Um, well, let's go after Shomenuchi attacks first. Yeah, well, the Shomen and Yokomen, I, I separated them out. They were going to be a, a, a one video, but mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's more to do with the way they are viewed in you know, popular in, in, in Aikido. Shomen, um, you know, the, this this kind of formalized, you know, I mean, it translates as precise head strike, something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's always done in an exactly straight line. Um, it's always done with a, a kind of a rigidity. And um, quite often the distance is terrible. People don't even reach people's heads. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's such a symbolized attack. And, you know, I, I've, I, I remember questioning it decades ago and someone said oh well it's from you know it's from a sword strike but it's useful anyway because it teaches you to any vertical uh, you know linear attack and I kind of thought okay that vaguely makes sense and just didn't think about it much more the reality is though is that you uh, unless you are going to be facing someone with kendo experience or something like that no one really is ever going to hit you exactly vertically like that 
So the Shomenuchi attack itself in the wild almost doesn't exist. And I've had people, you know, people on the, commented on the video, oh, someone hits you with a bottle or something. It's not shaman. There's always going to be an elliptical, you know, you give a baseball bat to people and say, hit me exactly on top of the head a hundred times. And then you, you know, they're all going to be slightly because people naturally rotate to generate power. That straight down thing is a swordsman thing. You know, I did see about a year ago, there was a video, I think it was about a year ago, a video emerged, there was a knife attack and, and, uh, a lot of the, the people that had argued that Shomenuchi is is a is an attack you would see in the wild would were were kind of like hey check out look at you got to see this the, the, you know the attack kind of like you know, those daggers strike and it yeah. hits the person in the chest and and um, I think any of the attacks are theoretically possible but I think you're right and and I, I don't it seems to me that the reason that both Shomenuchi and Yokomenuchi attacks are used in Aikido is that they are very well telegraphed, which gives Nage a chance to, to initiate the choreography and see what is happening. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's such a simple and basic attack. I agree with you that the, the, the diagonal is more, is more common. Um, but from what I've seen and what I've trained that, that, straight down from the top attack. And in, in European martial arts, it's called a, a vomtag, which means from the roof. And it's a finishing blow. You, you do that to somebody because they you've bent them over and now you are ready to take their head off. So, but it's not an opening shot because it's so easy to see coming. And, you know, I mean, unless you're a lightning kendoist that can flash a sword in there, you know, very, very quickly. But the idea that you're using your your forearm like a sword and swinging it like a sword, even if you look at at hammer fist strikes, they don't they don't work the same way as a sword as a sword strike. They they follow the same arc, but that doesn't mean that they are. But but even if we accept you know even if we accept that there's you know there's some validity right. to them existing, most of my students only train twice a week. Mm -hmm. You know you got the Few people that come to all six classes and are just super dedicated, but mo most most people twice a week is my you know people have got families, have got other, other lives. You know we're not in feudal Japan. People aren't moving into the dojo and just doing it all day every day. So why would you waste their mat time getting them to defend against something which is so unlikely? It's like defense against a corn cob or something. You know why not? a punch in the face which is very likely to happen in a yeah, fight and if you, know? you, if you spend an hour looking at street attacks and ambushes and fights you will see you'll 59 minutes uh, of that you will see overhand rights roundhouse swing yep. uh, absolutely straight up punches right to the mouth i mean yep. to me that's where you you allot your training time for the percentage of the stuff that somebody's more than likely going to run across. Couldn't agree with you more. So we were, again, we were in that same, um, you know, how do, how did I, how do I align this with my conscience so that I can still mm -hmm. um, doing, keeping to the principle of the Aikido. But so, I mean, we've been doing this for about three years now and so far it's been very successful. Um, it has meant, meant that some of the techniques have had to fall by the wayside because it's simply, simply not practical, but it meant we've, we've some other things in from Daitaru and some things like that, which are still very much Aikido in their principles and their, you know, mm -hmm. their underlying movements. 
So Shomanuchi we've replaced with basically Jodensky. So okay. it's a, a jab, a jab to the the face. Sure. And we will start start that off with um, a front leg, front arm jab. But then as people get a bit more proficient, we mix it up so you don't know if it's coming from front hand or back hand. So you don't know if you're going inside or outside. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes, you know, and it means that for less experienced people, we can do it with a, an open palm strike to the forehead or something. And they still mm-hmm. get the, they still get the distance. They still get the threat of something coming into their head. And, you know, we've got the rule that all of your strikes, you intend them to land. You could right. be going 50%, you can, you know, but your, your intention is that you are going to hit that person. And never, no, we never want to see a, an airy fairy thing that's just being put out. There's no point in that whatsoever. Sure. So we always have that, always have that intention of strike there to make the training valid, even if it's watered down or adapted for the level of the person you're training with. And it's worked fine. You know, some things with Shominuchi have made it quite difficult. I must say, I still do the um, Yo Sensei um, for the Ikkyo and Nikkyo Sankyo, uh, where you um, you instigate the attack. So you're flicking out a back fist or an open hand to mm-hmm. try and get your partner to make a flinch reaction. Then you're catching that arm and taking that into a technique because I think that has real use. That sure. second phase fight stuff but it's still really so so that's in an, in our show Minucci as well in that mm. level of training but the yokomen this idea of the the you know a, a, a straight arm um being the same as a roundhouse or a hook or an overhand is nonsense it's there yeah, because it's not. Just, you block that in the middle anywhere in the middle from elbow to fingers and you've blocked it you block an overhand too near to the elbow and it's going to curl around and smack you in the back of the head it's no, vastly different there's one thing that that bothered me the, the and to this day, it still bothers me the most about the Yokomanuchi attack is that when you load back, you're, you're raising this hand and this is the signal. What yeah. you should really be watching for is the shoulder dropping back. If you're looking for a hand and that hand doesn't come up, but the shoulder drops back, I mean, the shoulder's only moving maybe an inch. Or I mean, yeah. if it's a big load up, it'll be a couple of inches. But if you're looking for a big hand and you know, don't see the shoulder because you're not used to looking for the shoulder, like the shoulders... You know, don't watch yeah. the hands. Hands are quicker than the eye. The, the, the hands will deceive. But if the hand is low and behind, it's the shoulder that's going to give away that the hand is coming. And so, you know, I know my students have really told me they like knowing exactly what to be looking for. And it's not like you should be staring at the shoulder. But if you watch the, how the shoulders start to pivot, you can see the load that's coming for the punch to come. And the earlier you pick it up, the better off you better chance you're going to have a dealing with it. Couldn't agree more. And by training something so formally, um, uh, I mean, it's almost like a metaphorical attack, Shomenuchi and Yokomenuchi, you are actually taking out the student's ability to start learning tells. Right. And, 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 you know, Which is huge. If you can't read a tell. It's a massive thought part of self-defense. Even yeah. the body, you know, um, we, we were watching some videos the other day. You know, there's a little, we got a little online group and people post up. But um, you know, just a security cam from a from a, a bar, and you know people people talking to the bouncers, and you can see there's a kind of, a, and then you can see the people starting to get a bit bouncy like this, and there's the monkey the monkey dance on some yep. people, and the bearing the chest, and the and the you know the fingers and mm-hmm. all this real exaggerated stuff. But then guys coming back, and you can see that there's this 
that you just know they've come back and they, they're in trouble. There's nothing broadcast in their body, but then you see the shoulder drop and you know that it's going to go. Yep. And that should, be like a, that should be like a neon light flashing when you yeah. see that shoulder drop back. You're training like this. I mean, mm -hmm. we talk about delivering the tray of cakes thing. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know but Yoko Minucci's like, you know, would you, would you like an hors d'oeuvre, sir? I mean, it's, right. <laughs> it, it, it's farcical. It's mm -hmm. absolutely farcical. If, if you've got any serious intent on training with... Um, practical outcomes in mind if you just want to do the cooperative flow and the whatever else it is mm -hmm. but the problem again is like we said earlier i th i think um people convince themselves that what they're doing that is a genuinely functional art because that's what's been told to them and they have trust in their upline and i just you know this is the whole point of the video the video seek the series was to try and just get people to question their current reality and you know if, if, if one person has gone back to their sensei and said why do we do this as far as i'm concerned that was worth uploading you know? absolutely you know and the, the thing i noticed is that once i started working with my students and training them into dealing with roundhouses and overhead rights and if you go back to yoko Minucci and shomenuchi it's very easy for them to to deflect them and and I don't want to say catch them, but redirect them and, and engage into technique. I mean, it's, it's almost child's play. Well, yeah. it, <laughs> it's a good, it's not like you're losing a lot by not doing those attacks. If you have the fundamentals to deal with more realistic attacks, they translate perfectly into Shomenuchi and Yokoman. You're not really, you're not losing much by, and I, I don't think I've even taught those in the last four or five years but whenever they somebody will ask about it or the topic will come up and we say, all right, let's play around with it a little bit. I mean, it's my students just go through it like like butter. It's easy. Um, yeah. and, but one of the things as well, uh, which leads us on to the next video, which was the, mm -hmm. the bullshit version one. Definitely. Um, I'm looking forward to this part. Is that by 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 training Yokoman and, and Showman, you can do any of the let's just say there's uh, let's say there's 10 techniques in Aikido, core techniques, five pins, five throws, for the sake of argument. There's lots of different ways. Of, but, you know, from showman, you can do them all. From Yokoman, you can do them all. You know, look at this great system we've got. The minute you make that Jodansky and it's a punch to the face, or you make it a roundhouse or a hook or an overhand right or whatever, some of those things just really don't work. True. And it makes you feel like, I mean, like, you know, uh, from a, from a, a, a decent swinging trying to get kotagaishi on which is a great technique in lots mm -hmm. of situations if you've gone to the inside and flinch reaction blocked and then filled in and take taking balance to then fart around and small muscles you know motor skills to try and put that wrist lock on mm -hmm. to hope to drop something is a wildly inefficient way of dealing with the situation yeah. especially if you know you, we all know the deal your heart rate's up over about 115 beats a minute you start losing fine motor skills unless you are extremely fit and extremely well trained so farting and your attacker is not charging you anymore yeah, for sure. you had to have stopped his body for you to start dealing with his arm so you know training in a more realistic way makes you realize which of the techniques are are genuinely applicable in what situations mm -hmm. and so often we end up in i find with the striking techniques my guys end up in variations of things like an irimi or chitin where you're you're dealing with the body mass rather than right. an appendage 
and yep. you're taking the entire structure and you're breaking that balance and you've still got good connection and you are you have so many atemi available that even if you stuff it up you can soften them up enough enough for you to get out of dodge you know mm -hmm. and that you know and this is the half the thing the delusion and that this is you know this was the video that probably caused me the, the most uh, <laughs> the most trouble that, that people believe their own uh whatever it is they think that you know harmonizing what does uk want i hate it when i hear someone say <laughs> what does uk want i don't care mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not ballroom dancing this guy's trying to punch me in the face i don't care what he wants i you know as an aikido practitioner i i want to make sure that he hurts me as little as possible and that i can control the system the, the situation to my advantage as quickly as possible and with the best possible outcome. For me, that's Ike. I'm trying to get the highest ethical thing. I don't want to just smash someone and kill them every time. I want to get the best possible outcome I can. Uh, but I don't care what he wants. He wants to punch me in the face. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and this this whole kind of there's a language. You know, uh, connecting with the divine mind and and being being present in your feet. I made a huge list of them, and they annoyed me so much I couldn't even read them out in the video. It's just nonsense, but people take it seriously. You know, there's, a, there's an American sensei that's been traveling around Australasia for the, the last decade, basically signing people up, you know? They join the association and, you know, the following year, the senior person gets their next Dan rank and they've got a lovely Japanese certificate and the, yada yada, you know? But it's all, it's all kind of, how are we feeling today? Okay, let's, uh, can we lift? And it's, it's just, like 1970s self-help groups on the beach kind of stuff. It's right. nonsensical. And it just drives me round the bend because so many people in little cut-off parts of the world like we are here see it as their only link back to Japan. So they put up with it. So you've got people that are perfectly good practitioners mm -hmm. swallowing this absolute horseshit and spending lots of money so they can get a bit of paper from someone they clearly don't respect. And I mean, it's it's just utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense. And I, you know, I get in all sorts of trouble because I'll, you know, I'll say to them, why are you doing this? Why? You know what? It's it just seems insane. But the, again, we talked about confirmation bias, cognitive bias. It's very, very easy once you've got your head in a particular space and you are believing a certain set of things to be looking for stuff to reinforce that. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to understand that, you know, I've got friends who are long-term key Aikido practitioners and they genuinely believe, yeah, obviously key is one of those things that you can't prove it exists. It's largely about, you know, different people explain it in different ways. Some I find more plausible than others. But some of them genuinely believe, genuinely believe that it's it's uh, um, it's something you can kind of charge up, and you know, and they're not far off Mortal Combat or whatever it was, you know, Hadouken. You know, it it, it becomes the force. It becomes Yoda on, on acid kind of thing. You know, and one thing I've noticed, and and we've got a, a key society group here in the city that I'm in, and and we sort of sort of crossed paths in in hmm. past. It's been a while, but. Um, I, the one thing I've noticed is there is a, a part of the Aikido realm and they, they kind of really like this part of, they don't want to be part of the martial art aspect, but they like doing these kind of key based 
sort of part, I call them parlor tricks where you can kind yeah, of impress one another with, oh, look at how biomechanics sort of work with, based on your attitude and your, your mental outlook, which there's a certain validity to the mind driving the body. Absolutely. Yeah. But they, the idea that there's some kind of a power there. And, and this is what I always come down to is when people are pursuing power. And I, I would call this the same thing as the people that want to do the, the key blasting or the, the yellow bamboo folks that want to, you know, knock somebody over at 20 feet by getting, you know, shooting key balls at them. They are searching for, for that power. They want to have that. And, you know, you yeah. get off in the weeds somewhere and, you know, you get these groups that are teaching, claiming they can teach you how to levitate, how to heal your body, how to walk through walls using key and all these other things. But it's still at the, at its root, the pursuit of some kind of a power. Of course, you know, they're, they're so, they so want to believe it that they'll put aside their basic part of their logic that says, how on earth am I ever going to be taught to walk through a wall or to levitate, yeah. you know, but, but he, when the desire he, to, to, to have that power is so great, you will lie to yourself and say, this is possible. Um, yeah. you know, there's a market, th those people have wallets, you know, so. I mean, religions, cults, um, I mean, people will suspend logic because they want to be part of something which gives them a, um, a hint at the a possible, as you say, a power or, or something, yep. you know, unachievable. And, and not only not only power, but fantasy is seductive because it yeah, sure. gives you what you want to hear, not so much the, the truth. And and, uh, you know, this is I, the Russians have a great saying and it says, I would rather be slapped with the truth than kissed with a lie. And, yeah. and I think that the, that the martial arts have catered to those to many, many, many people that want to be lied to. They want to be told that they can have access to this tremendous power. Um, but in the end, you know, they find out that, no, it's it's not. It's, it's basically like a, a group hypnosis uh, of a yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and you, yeah, it happens in lots of different, um, you know, lots of different areas of life. I think Aikido particularly suffers from it, though, because of the nature of uh, o, o Sensei post-war. His, um, him talking about unifying the world through peace and unify, you know, unifying the world through the martial art of Aikido, which, when you think about it, is kind of okay. How do you unify people through a martial art when it's, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I just don't have the mental capacity to understand. Uh, I mean, but there seems to be so many um, kind of uh, un, ununderstandable things within Aikido that um, can be kind of sprinkled into sentences to make whoever it is in the, uh, the, the current upline appear to have enlightenment or knowledge or some kind of superior and people that are looking for a guru or they're looking for a leader or they're looking for some something to base their whatever it is on and everyone has an aspect of that in them i think just follow like sheep and and just because you know and then the next generation of people start spouting the same nonsense i think this is really a terrible thing in aikido there's so much of it 
right away, you know, as you said, unbendable arm and the, you know, the projection of key and weight underside and all of those kind of things, whilst they are based in, if they were explained through biomechanics and, and practicality, they, they're valid. But when they're explained as if it's some kind of Yoda-like, you know, force, it becomes nonsense. Well, and I and, think that that's what, what we're talking about is the uh, proclivity for basically cult behavior, where you are, yep. you get a group of people that will basically tell each other lies that sound really great, and they want to believe them, and people gather because they want to believe in that in that that fantasy delusion because it sounds yep. fantastic, um, yep. and and uh, you know, unfortunately. By, by coming into a realm where there is an expectation of being able to defend yourself. If you're looking for power, you're looking for it for your own benefit, mm -hmm. flat out, whether you, you know, whether they want to admit that openly or not, that's, that's what it's there for. Self-improvement, yeah. that's about becoming more powerful. Um, and then to say, well, I, but I would never use it or I would, you know, then you get into the kind of the pacifist realm where okay why would you develop a power that you're never going to use or you refuse yeah. to use because of yeah. you know some kind of an ideology and that's not to say that I, I think that there's a discipline and this goes back to ancient greece where the idea was that the perfect human being and at the time it was males because they were the physical part but i, I think this applies to females too especially in our age it is you need to have the power to protect yourself. You need to have the power to at least have a chance, not to say that you need to be invulnerable because we know that that's impossible, but you should have the power to protect yourself, your family, your community, not be helpless. And that's kind of a duty. If you don't have that, the only reason you live is that you are either lucky, you never run across a, a serious threat or uh, you're just hopeful. And I, I find that luck and hope are not strategies, <laughs> you know, um, or you, or you hope for the mercy of, of a predator or of somebody who is, is strong um, and hope that they will let you live or, or, you know, allow you to keep whatever it is that they want from you and, and decide not to take it. But, um, you know, but uh, what I was saying about the going back to ancient Greece, it talked about, you know, you need to have prowess and strength, but it has to be tempered with philosophy. It's not a replacement. Training physically is not, you can't replace that with being spiritual and being a philosopher. Because then I think Plato said this is basically then you're just weak. You're helpless. Yeah. You know, whereas if you do, if you have physical prowess and you don't have the te the temperance and the the um, the philosophy side, now you're just a brute, and you don't want to be either one. You need to have that that perfect meeting of and both. That is the great thing about Aikido as an art, I think. Yeah, and I think that that echoes almost all warrior cultures. I mean, yeah. you know, they. You know, there were some exceptions that, but, but usually within them, the, the warriors needed to have a code of loyalty and a code of duty. You know, it wasn't, they weren't just, you know, uh, sadistic monsters because um, they needed to, to fit in with society. 
Um, and there were times when warriors did not fit in with society, like the Romans. They had to keep the legionnaires busy and not let them back in mass into Rome because there was a lot of chaos that happened there. But without getting too much into history, um, I think it's one of those things to check of, you know, and, and that, to say that, can I test what I learn objectively? Can I see that, that it works? Can I, can I increase the intensity of my training to see and test yeah. to that, I'm, that I'm keeping my feet up on the ground and not I'm floating around in some kind of fantasy world? Um, and, and this is what, where I, can, I, I will often hear the resistance of saying, well, I don't want to get into live training or we shouldn't do that in our dojo or that's too dangerous or you know, don't want to go there. Unfortunately, if you're going to learn to swim, you're going to have to get wet sooner or later. Otherwise, you really don't know if you can swim. You can't do it. This is, why, and this is one of the problems with arts like Aikido, because, pe because people are never challenged. Mm -hmm. This is why the, these delusions, if you don't want to call them that, and the bullshit can just can carry on. Because it's not like you're saying you can do this and then next week you've got a fight or you've got to go in the ring or whatever and mm -hmm. someone beats 10 bells crap out of it you know mm -hmm. and you can say that you can project key or you can whatever it is can connect to the divine mind and no one knows ever knows any different right so it's you know this is one of the issues so i you know we've talked about this before but the, the idea of pressure training and and uh, uh you know putting what you're 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 doing and what you're teaching uh under duress and it's there's benefits to that in many many levels you know absolutely um, you don't build true confidence until you face those challenges. And, you know, you do it in a graduated way. You don't just throw somebody in, in with the wolves. But every, every periodically through their training, they need to get challenged. And when they increase their skills, they need to get challenged beyond them just a bit so that they keep getting more and more. But, um, well, I know we're, we're missing through a lot of these topics. And let's let's get on to the chokes and strangles one, because I, I remember there were some interesting comments about that that came in after after you dropped yeah. that hand grenade. Yeah. Well, for, for me, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when we started dealing with the modernized strike, should we call it, modified strike, so replacing Showman and Joachim with you know, punches and roundhouses and stuff, one of the things that, that um, clearly became apparent is that passing the arm and getting to the back, which is a basic of jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. you know? um, it was, was something that just became inherent in the, in the training. And once you've got someone's back, it's a, it's a no-brainer that you have everything from fairly passive kind of seatbelt holds right the way through to a massive variety of guillotines and, and strangles and chokes. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if you get they, to somebody's back and you don't do it, you're kind of overlooking yeah. one of the one of the easiest okay. ways of immobilizing somebody. But it's not formally taught in the majority of Aikido. Now, I've seen sensei use chokes. Uh, my old sensei occasionally would say, and of course, you've got this if you want it. Um, there was a couple of older guys in our organization back in the UK that had got Daitaru backgrounds that would put chokes in at the drop of a hat, you know, mm -hmm. but. You, you don't see it in modern Aikido dojos. And you have something like a Rimanegi on, and they'll have the big, you know, the big kind of formal straight That's a choke waiting to happen. And it's like, yeah, why, why aren't you just putting that, you know, why aren't you just putting that on? There's a million kind of just, just choking, for God's sake. Why do a big throw? You know, and they're all saying, oh, you've got to step through on the throw, and you've got to put your feet. You don't need to. You're behind him. 
put you know put the put the stroke on, take the balance, and wait until they start tapping. It's it's you know it just seems illogical. So you know, I threw in it fact, out. I would say this too that that I think it's funny to me how many Aikidoists view that throwing somebody to the ground is being kind to them. I think that's, right. that's one of the hardest hits you're ever going to deliver on somebody is, is hitting them with the planet and throwing them down is proven to be, that is where uh, a lot of the injury and even some of the, they, I don't know if they call them that over there, but over here, they call them one punch deaths where somebody you get in a fight, they'll, they'll hit somebody, they'll fall over, they'll hit their head on a concrete or they'll hit their head on something, crack their skull and it'll kill them. Falling to the ground is inherently dangerous. Whereas you, you get passed through and you do an Arimi Nage and you throw them, that can hurt somebody. But you come behind and get them into a choke, you can set them down very safely without any injury. You don't even have to choke them out. You know. And that to me is more Aikido than throwing them against the, you know. Exactly. That's that that's the point I was getting to is, you know, okay, yeah. are we examining how really we are taking care of yeah. our, our attacker? Or now, I, in the video, because I did it at the back, the back end, in, in I just shot it during one of the breaks because mm -hmm. we were talking in a, one of the seminars, and I had Christian from uh, just give him a plug from J1 Jiu Jitsu. He's been supporting our seminars for ten years. Great guy. Also one of my, you know, one of my Aikido students at one point, and he um, he was on the mat. And I just said, look, just grab someone um, while I'm talking. Just just do some. Uh, just from an eye hammy, just going, and, and he just did some various kind of chokes, just very kind of, you know, off the bat and quite loose. Mm -hmm. The te technical slagging he got from people, mm. the, the thing on, on YouTube, people will argue with the thumbnail, they'll argue with the title before they've even watched the video. Of course. And, and then you'll make a point in the video. The whole point of the video might be, why aren't there chokes and strangles more commonly practiced in Aikido? No, no. What people will be commenting on was the guy demonstrating or, or doing some chokes in the background to show what I meant. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, that was sloppy. That was terrible. That was white belt jujitsu. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's that, you know, you could say it's the cognitive bias thing, but it's just this inability to address the thing that people are actually talking about, you know? Right. That sounds like. It's a bit confronting. I, I want to talk about something else. I don't like the fact he had a grey gi on. You know, that was another one. Mm. What? What? I mean, you know, it's just... And that that shows the mindset of the majority... Well, the majority of Aikido people are so entrenched in the uh, the popular culture that it, it, they find it very confronting to even... Um, to even open a discussion about things that may or may not change. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very, very, that to me is, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I found it quite depressing at first, but now I realize having mixed with and had interchanged with people from other arts, that it's the same the world over and not just in martial arts, but in golfing and in uh, Frisbee golf, disc golf people and in um, uh, synchronized swimmers I talked to. If it's not done the way that the majority of people do it, there is a bias. There's a, you know, people get their feathers rustled. Ruffled. It's very, you know, very and that's one of the things that that I know I really wanted to be careful of. And I actually took this from my competition background, which was as an instructor, when I'm evaluating a student or I'm watching them, yes, I would I want a certain amount of technical technical proficiency. 
but I can accept if they make a mistake as long as did you make the technique work? Did you figure yeah, out a way to, to, to get the function you were looking for? Like that is, you know, I would say priority two. Priority one is don't get hit. Save yourself yeah. <laughs> and get to a safe place. But priority two is, is make it work. Did you have to budget? Did you have to? Because that's, that's going to be the reality of chaos and the reality yeah. of violence. It's not whether you were technically perfect or even technically solid. It's did you succeed? And you can be Absolutely. technically per per perfect and fail which to me is a real problem. And yeah. that's, that, that's, you know, we can, get, we can go deeper into that too, but, um, no, but I do want to get to the Italian one, but go ahead. My show in the UK used to have something up on the wall, which I had here for 10 years. That was the four principles of key, you know, extend key, realization, right, right. Weight underside, whatever, whatever those four things are. Mm -hmm. And that was, the, you know, they, they were the overriding things that kind of were like the mantras that should flow through the training. That now is gone. And on I the removed right that from mine too, even though I'm from a Tohei background. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we had that on, all over the place. We have move out of the line of attack, take the balance, react appropriately. Mm -hmm. And they are the three, everything we do now, I keep pointing at the board. Do you Did use uh, Shoto Seizu, the control the first move? That's that's one that I, I inherited that I really like, and I'm getting more on that all the time. Um, no, no, don't. Yeah, it's it was one of the principles. I don't think it was from Tohei. I don't know exactly where the source was, but to me, it's it's almost the lost. We could probably do a whole episode on this one yeah, um, sure, that yeah. control the first move because you see Osensei do it, you see Gozo Shioda uh, Shioda do it. Yeah. You see Koichi Tohei use it. I mean, it is they they take well, the initiative. Yeah, I mean, if you yeah, if you take the initiative, so if you're making them, for me, that's that's the definition of irimi, mm -hmm. which is you know a core thing for the for from for Aikido. Um, I always describe it. I know irimi literally means to enter through the body. Uh, for me, sorry, I thought I'd turn that off. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, for, for me, um, irimi literally means retaliate first. Mm. So you're 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 making you know my ex-wife. Everybody, sorry. <laughs> I'll stick it in the drawer. There you go. You can't have any more money. You can't have any more money. Um, yeah, it, you, it means preempting. You, you know, mm -hmm. you've got to. It's like we were saying. You've seen the tell. You know something's going to happen, mm -hmm. and um, preempting that. And mm -hmm. and it, that that's a lost thing actual fights quite often you don't have a chance if someone's coming and squaring up to you or you often won't see the first thing that happens as a musician i've been on stage or i've been loading in and out or whatever and you get people square up to you or something starts and it's normally the second or third phase by the time you've got yourself together and you're actually in your head you're ready to to deal with it the initial thing quite often is comes out of nowhere so it's uh, for me, it's quite rare that you can even make that first initial um, uh, preempting of of, of the of the uh, the violent event, if you like. You know, and I don't have it. I don't think there's any way to get a solid number on it. But from what I've seen of self-defense situations, the person who moves first more than likely will win. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And and the idea that and this is one thing. And perhaps this would go into the the Aikido delusion part, but. Uh, the idea that Aikido is only defensive and is a reactive art is my, in my opinion, is a disservice. In fact, it's false. 
yeah it's it's nonsensical yeah and again this leads us on to the last the last video really mm -hmm. the idea of Jimmy. you you always hear um and it's almost it's sometimes um in, in europe i heard it used as an excuse for they'd be doing a technique that was big and flowing and stuff and then you, they'd say of course don't forget you've got to put your temi in and and then as if to say well, what we're doing is inherently nonsense but if you hit people enough during it then it's going to be effective right and you and it, you know 90 percent of 95 percent or 70 percent whatever the number is i've never actually seen a source for that quote by the way mm -hmm. and i've really looked for it but the 90 percent of, of aikido is a temi all right, let's just say that that's a, that was a quote by someone that we should be paying attention to. I thought it and was one of Gozo Shioda's books. I thought he I, he referenced that. Yeah, but it's meant to be an O-sensei no right. quote. Yeah. Right. And um, for an art that does not formally teach striking, that seems a very, very strange thing to quote. Mm -hmm. I, I've never been to an Aikido school. Um, well, now I have. I've never been to a traditional Aikido school, using that word again, where there's a heavy bag and there's gloves mm -hmm. and you see students actually hitting speed pads or being taught how to strike efficiently and properly. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my guys, we do, a, you know, from white belt, orange belt, the first kind of two or three grades, everybody is taught basic striking. Just so that even if you've got like teenage girls. You're, well, you're not going to be a martial artist if you don't know how to hit hard. But just so they don't also so that two things so if they are striking something they don't hurt themselves by hitting with a bent wrist or you know weak weak grip or whatever but also so that when they're training with their partners they're giving their partners something realistic and practical to train against right. otherwise they're doing a disservice as you say to their partners mm -hmm. it, it, it just breeds um a, you know ineffective training mm -hmm. as far as Emmy's concerned I, we, you know, we've got an overriding thing that you put an atemi in when it's available, and that can be the nearest part of your body to that that vulnerable spot. It could be hips, knees, head. You know, if if, if someone's putting a strangle on and goes near your mouth, you bite it. Mm -hmm. That's an atemi as far as I'm concerned. And it can be in a, even your your key eye or your uh, your body language can be an atemi. It can help to break the, the 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 spirit of the attack. There's you know there's many many levels to it. Treading on people's feet. You know, all sorts. We, we, I mean, I've got a bit of a Wing Chun background, and we use hooks quite a lot. You know, to trap mm -hmm. the to trap the feet. Technically, they're not really the temi, but if you use them in that way to disrupt, mm -hmm. you're taking their mind off the fact that you're trying to put an arm lock on or whatever it is. So all of that stuff. But but it's just it, it just annoyed me that it's not taught how it could be taught. You know, yeah. why not teach? If you if you saying you're a martial art, why not teach your students to strike? Even if you're just teaching the teenage girls that you're worried about hurting themselves, just a straight hammer fist. Mm -hmm. At least they've got some, you know. Sure. Rather than this delivering a tray of cakes nonsense, it's just it's farcical. You know, and one of the things that 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 I've noticed about striking, and I, I really do like Ellis Sanders. The yeah. definition he turned me on to is a temi means the striking a striking body, which yeah. it's of the, the the definition that I heard of a temi is a, it's a strike meant to unbalance, and and I like that I like both definitions because they're while they're different, and I, I like the, the the striking body for the fact that personally I love elbows I love forearms I love using the top of my shoulder to drive into rib cages yeah. I like head. Uh, I'll hit with anything, knees, shins, yeah. you name it. 
Um, yes. And I, so I like that idea of don't just think of it as throwing a punch to somebody's face as being an attemi. Um, Cause that's what I see a lot of instructors do. They're like, uh, they kind of roll their eyes and go, okay, well you can put an attemi and they always like put a fist to the face and, and overlooking the idea. Like the skull is hard. You hit something yeah. with your hand that's not conditioned to hit something hard, you're probably gonna break your hand and not really gonna get any, you're not gonna get any kazoo shot of it because it would be a, a, a BS strike. Yeah. And But the idea that you can, and, and even if you don't treat it like a, a strike meant to have heavy impact, you bump somebody, you will tip them. Well, that's the yeah. kazoo you're looking for. And whether it's, you know, knock them with your head a little bit, you can get a lot. I mean, there's heads about the weight of a bowling ball. You can really tip somebody by headbutting them, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and so there's, there's a, I think there's a lot to that because it's based in the take the posture rather than just deliver, you know, a lot of force, blunt force yeah. to somebody's body. But you, but in taking that posture, now you can really do, a great deal of manipulation, uh, which in my opinion is kind of the definition of Aikido. We're, we're manipulating somebody's body. So yeah, to me, that's what people argue, like what, what classification does Aikido fall under? In my opinion, it falls under grappling. It is a absolutely. subtle, intricate version of grappling, um, basically a standing grappling style, which is why I like catch wrestling and some of the some of the stuff that wrestling brings to the table, because that's exactly what they will do. They'll do that standing manipulation, same principles. They like taking, you know, taking their opponents off balance. They like, you know, turning and twisting and using good footwork. And there's, there's so much there that I think abides, you know, by, by that without just, you know, of course they don't throw a fist in somebody's face, but there's a lot of strikes that happen in, in old school wrestling um uses of the head shoulders arms you know to to deliver shots to the body but um but i i do think atemi is and i i it frustrates me when aikidoists kind of turn their nose up at the idea of of atemi um yeah. and granted you know you don't use it on somebody that's that's being polite to you which is oftentimes their training partners you have to gauge how to deliver it but you need do, do need to know to target it deliver it with control and then practice it on pads so that when you do when you do let loose the power you've got the power absolutely um, uh, it just it just seemed um it just seemed such an odd thing it, it's such a mantra that is quoted this idea that you know 90 percent or whatever it is of aikido is, is striking mm -hmm. um but then there's no evidence that that is even part of the technical system, let alone the applied system. And right. it just seems such an anathema. It was it was just insane. And again, you saw I think you you, you saw the video. You saw some of the, the comments. People were saying, "Oh, well, it's it, Aikido doesn't need to be fixed. Your, your Aikido does." And it was right. like, "Well, yeah, it's kind of what I'm saying." Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the Aikido I'm doing, I'm I'm trying to make it feel more honest. Well, and, and, <laughs> and the, the, I think the thing is that that when you talk about violence and fighting, striking is the coin of the realm. Like, yeah, you can't be so sophisticated that you are you cannot deal with striking. If you don't have a partner that's doing actual striking, like 
good, decent striking, you're not going to learn how to deal with de a decent striker. Absolutely. Yeah. Just and you can see that with the MMA stuff, there's, there's yeah. been you know been phases of of the jujitsu guys wanting to take everything to the ground, and there's been you know striking guys and kicking guys, but ultimately now everybody has to have no matter how good their groundwork is even the good groundwork guys have to have some striking because that's just the reality of two people screwing up to each other you know yeah. feet feet and legs are going to go first because that's the range mm -hmm. you know you've got to bridge a lot to get in close enough to take someone to the floor you know yeah, yeah so, absolutely yeah, I mean there are there's more videos in this in this <laughs> series to come. But, yeah, that's um, that's what I wanted to ask you is what have you got yeah. coming uh, next? Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, there's, we've got two or three things that are um, we're we're not sure whether we're going to break them up into separate videos or whether we're going to make them into a a single kind of concept. Or okay. uh, one is about the name, the, the, the branding. So. If we assume that the art is going to be the art and that's it, what do we call the new, more practical, more pragmatic, more relevant, more uh, based in reality art? Um, what, you know, answers on a postcard kind of thing, you know? And I'm hoping that in the comments, someone will come up with something and I'm going to go, yes, that's the word I've been looking for. I've been using modified in inverted commas. I hate inverted commas, but I've been using that for about three and a half years, I think. Okay. Um, I know someone says practical Aikido. I know um, modernized uh, modernized Aikido. Um, there was another one, another guy, Aikibudo, he's been calling it. I got a few issues with that because that could kind of mean more than one thing. Um, there was another guy who found a brilliant Japanese word, which for the life of me, I can't remember because my Japanese is terrible, but it meant something along the lines of like progressive or evolutionary or something, you know? Okay. So there's I feel like there's enough people like yourself and, and myself and, you know, there's lots of people in, in various groups kind of hiding on the internet to, and are, whether out in the open or, uh, you know, people like myself that have got nothing to lose, therefore, are just kind of saying, look, this is what we're doing. Let's talk about it. I don't care because, you know, I don't care if no one ever gives me a certificate again It's because it's irrelevant to me. Oh, well, what, but what, also uh, what I've gotten from people that have, Message me privately and even even on the on the forum and and whatnot. I think there are more of us coming. Yeah. Oh, it's a growing thing. Absolutely. And, and, and more of us gathering than than it's people tonight. realize. Um, it's it's. it's yep. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I've, I've Never had, marry. Everyone. I've had even a couple people message me that that have that are on my my spirit aikido online program that have written me and said wow you know this is you give me stuff that i can start changing how we train in our dojo and add fun stuff to it and it, this it is, is. They've, they've told me like it's changing the the kind of the mood and and it and making bringing a fresh kind of air to what we train which is really great so you know and and i know that there are other online programs out there teachers that are sharing like you are, that are sharing what you're working on. I think that there's, this is going to keep going and it's going to, it, it's interesting and engaging and that's, that's what it needs. I, I think yeah. it needs, it needs a branding. It needs a, it needs yes. a name for it, that critical yeah. mass. Exactly. Um, otherwise it's, it's not a thing. It's right. needs to be, okay, 
we're all doing modified Aikido or we're all doing whatever it, whatever it is, the mm-hmm. Nike Buddha or whatever, so that then people know it's a thing mm-hmm. and it's much easier for people to, uh, uh, because it exists as an entity then, rather right. than as a, a kind you know, of vague I, idea. I agree you know, with you. Like I've, a, I've racked my brain over what to call it. I really don't know. I mean, to and this would not be a good name to choose, but basically to me, it, it sounds like the difference between Aikido, which is alive, and Aikido, which is dead. And by dead, I mean it's just it it doesn't have the heart of that uh, yeah. that warrior part. It's great choreography, it's pretty, but that's all it is. Is I, I mean this so this is one of the the, the things we're going to try and adjust. Because, uh, I mean, if you look at like, art history, you had the Dadaists and you had the Bauhaus and the the uh, Russian constructivists or whatever, until there was a name for what those particular people were doing, they didn't exist. Once there was, you know, the abstract expressionists, ah, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing the point, <laughs> you know. And so, yeah. and th- so it needs a name. Until it's sure. got a name, it's very, very hard. To, but once there's a name, that's when it will hit critical mass and we'll have a thing. Yeah. And, and I think the name will happen, happen organically. It'll come from somewhere and everybody go, yeah, that's, a, that's great. I'm hoping it will come from the video when it goes up. Sure. <laughs> someone yeah. in the comments will say, oh, yeah, well, we've been calling it this. And it's like, ah, it'll be someone like um, someone who's good with words like Stephen, Stephen Scott or, or someone sure. like that. Or, sure. or, uh, or Rion or one of those guys. There'll be someone that's kind of um, used to um, communicating what they mean efficiently rather than kind of rambling on like a lunatic like I do. <laughs> I think, I, I, think well, I, I think that the, the, having a name on it is like putting the paint job on the race car. It needs the engine and the transmission and all the work oh. under the hood. And that's, that's what people are doing now. And, I, and yeah. I, it's great to hear that that's happening. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, because I remember four or five years ago, people were like, well, how do, we, how do we improve the image of Aikido? I'm like, unless you do the hard work yeah. that when somebody walks in the door, they don't laugh their way out. It doesn't yeah, matter sure. how much, how much, how many posters, if you get a movie star or you get, you know, cause that was a big thing. We need another movie star. We need another, you know, yeah. somebody to, to yeah. we need to appear in a TV series or something to really go big. And it's like, well, no, we got to be able to deliver on the promise. That's got to happen well, first. It's, it's interesting that when you have conversations with other people doing the same thing, <laughs> name to be added at a later date, how similar the, the things that people have addressed are the things that, that we put up in that video and a few others which we will be addressing you know yeah. but it's 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 already um a movement if you like there is Absolutely. already a there is already a pressure wave building mm-hmm. but it just needs something to uh, i have no idea how it's going to work sure. i don't think it needs a bigger head or a, it doesn't need a cigar or a, a thing like that. No, what it needs I, is a it, 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 as you say, because if, if, if we had a movie star, that just takes it into the realms of, of Hollywood again. We right. need practicality. We, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, it, maybe it's just two or three YouTube channels doing similar stuff. Sure. Um, just well, that's the great thing about living things. They always grow. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. And that's if we look at our art as a living thing. And, and oh, Sensei did. You know, I think he had a, a quote late in his life where he said, you know, I've only just scratched the surface that Aikido can grow and grow. And that like, that's why I, th- I look at those people that's that want to freeze Aikido in time and have it be, you know, 
the way that it was and not let it grow are almost insulting the, yeah. his, the spirit of what he wanted for his Aikido to, to where, to where it could go after him. So, well, so just, just to, to, to round up, I mean, mm-hmm. some of the other things that we were looking at is kicking. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, again, I, I'm from a kicking background and um, it seems laughable that there is no kicking formally taught or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the hip throws and, and, you know, the Koshinagi in Aikido are, you know, all of my judo and, and jiu-jitsu friends all laugh at, at it. You know? Yeah, it's, it, um, I, I it's, really it's, don't care for really, Aikido's Koshinagi. Even, even the good guys, even, yeah. you know, even people like Abata, who was great, you can tell they had a background in other arts. It, it, you know, that needs improving. Um, what, was the other, what was the other thing that uh, there was something? Well, in using, it always it puzzled me why Aikido almost uses the upper body entirely and excludes yeah. things like hooks, sweeps, trips. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. Well, the yeah. legs are, are neglected. Yeah. Almost entirely. And so many Aikido techniques offer themselves to things like, I mean, like when we do Tenshinagi, for example, I teach Osotogari as a variation of that because it's just such an obvious thing. You're already there. Why not put the leg there? You can even do the straight leg extension or the sweep or the reap or whichever version you want. You know, it's right. there. Why wouldn't you show that to people as something else they can have in there? It, it just seems insane to me. It seems absolutely yeah. insane. So there's, 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 we've probably got another three, maybe four videos um, that we are going to, to round off this series with. But I'm hoping by then someone else will have... Um, made a noise about something that we can kind of bounce off you know sure because i just I'm, it's uh getting back to the branding until there is something that people can get behind at the moment it's isolated pockets of of people and ambition or whatever you want to call it vaguely communicating in a, in a, a kind of a loose network until there is a thing, until there is an actual movement I think, it, I think it's going to be a slow process getting traction. I mean, it's right. fine for us because we're doing it within our own dojos and that's really the, all that affects us. But it would be nice to affect some actual change upon the art for what I think is the better of the art. Sure. Well, I think that's happening. It may just not be happening as, as quickly as we like, but forward progress is still forward progress. So uh, sure. that's, that's, that's the exciting well, part. While people like you are still kind of, uh, you know, hunting down people and talking about this stuff and getting people thinking about it, at least we're, you know, there's, it's out in the open. It's not something that's being swept under the carpet. Right. And, and that's the first step is realizing it's possible. Like, I, and that's I've, probably the most disappointing thing to me when I hear Aikido people will resist by saying, Aikido is never meant for that. It's it's can't be used for self-defense. It's it's useless in a real situation. Like it's like they're giving up. Like yeah. they've they've almost admitted that what the art is is complete bullshit. And they're fine with that. And they want it to stay that way. Like to me, that's a, such a defeatist sort of attitude. And uh, yeah. you know, I disagree. I think it can, it has a, a lot more potential than mm-hmm. Than, than where it is, um, you know, and there are some great practitioners out there that are the real deal. And they're, like you said, they're kind of quietly doing their own thing sort of by themselves and yeah. to the point where 
a lot of people don't even know those people exist. And, you know, there's a, there are a few out there, but as we gather together and start, you know, learning how to bring Aikido into the modern world and still keep its principles and its effectiveness and, and learn to build its effectiveness to me now that's starting to see Aikido's true potential. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not treat it like an antique or a relic. So, yeah, no, well, cool. Anything you wanted to wrap up with? You got a few more episodes coming. Anytime, any idea when you're going to uh, have those out? No, because uh, we uh, we just had a, our winter camp. So it was uh, 10 sessions or something there that were filmed. So that, that's all being edited. Um, and we tend to put stuff out in order. Um, but we've probably got three of the four videos, majority of it done. So it's a case of when it's edited. As soon as it's done, though, you know, it will be, it's fairly well broadcast. I've got a couple of guys that do all the promotion on the social media stuff for me. So they're, they're pretty efficient. So I'm, I'm sure if you're interested in this kind of thing, you'll see it. Apologies to your viewers for my bloody phone going off. It's a, <laughs> it's a brand new phone. I, I, I dropped my other phone in the bath, which was, yeah. <laughs> It was my birthday and I was having a bath, you know, it is. And yeah. uh, I've got a brand new phone and I thought I'd turn the ringer off and I was pressing the wrong buttons. And No yeah, worries at all. Old men and technology. So uh, I'll go and ring my ex-wife back in a minute and apologize for shouting at her down the phone. Quite all right. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Duncan. This has been a fun conversation. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.